If I were to give a title to this, I would call it Doing Good in a Fallen World. Peter says here in our scriptures that we should bless one another and eventually bless the whole world. And that's fine, except we're going to suffer for doing that. So why should we do good when we know we're going to suffer for it? Does that make sense? It's like, hit here. We're offering our jaws. Why can't we have a nice, simple life and not have any suffering? Wouldn't that be a nice expectation? The problem with that is it is not possible to have a nice life in this fallen world. The better question is, where do I want to be in 10,000 years? So I'm reading in 1 Peter 3 from verse 8. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now Peter commands each one of us to be a blessing. This is for every single person who believes in Jesus. In all times, in all places, whether you're a slave or free, or married, or unmarried, male or female. This applies to everybody right here in 2021. And he sums up his whole application and says, this is what you're to be. You're to be a blessing. He says, 
be of one mind. All right? We are to have the same mind as the pastor. Oh, you guys know that's wrong. Wrong. You're not supposed to come out like the pastor. God help you if you end up like the pastor. We're all supposed to have the same mind as Christ. And we're to think like him, have his values, and his attitude is love. That is the greatest thing. Now, the New American Standard translates this, this word as harmonious. And I like that. Now, hopefully when you're listening to the worship group, everybody's in tune. And boy, if it's out of tune, you hear it. Whether you're a musician or not, you kind of go, Ugh, like that. And boy, there's been some times when we've been playing, and I know we're out of tune, and we play these out of tune things, and it's like my spine is doing this. <laughs> because there's a conflict. And that's what discord is. Conflict. But you know, it's funny. When everybody tunes up to the same tuner, it's harmony. Everything goes together, and there's no conflict. Now, you know, we want to tune up to Jesus. And if we tune up to Jesus, we're going to be tuned up with each other automatically. Just like when every musician tunes up to the same tuner, we're all in tune. So we'll be loving one another just like he loved us. Now, he also says have compassion for one another. And it means to be sympathetic. That means if you get a cut, you here on the other side of the room feel it. And you go, ooh. What affects you affects me. And therefore, we have care for one another. What makes you happy makes me happy. What hurts you hurts me. He says, love is brothers. And you know, that's because we really do have the same father. We're born of the same spirit. We live in the same family. It's not cute mysticism. We're related. And everybody in the family loves everybody or else. That's the way it has to be in this family. He says, be tenderhearted. You know what that means? That means easy to be convinced. The opposite of that is, you know, you could fall over the ground and I'd just step over you. I'm not going to help you. Tenderhearted means, hey, what can I do to help? Anything. What do you need? See? Easy to be persuaded. Easy to come out with compassion. And then he says, humble in spirit. Courteous there is better translated humble. And you know what that is? That's being aware of God 
and who you are in the presence of God. How do you feel when you're in the presence of God? For myself, I kind of get smaller and crummier. I wish I could feel good about myself. But next to God, I can't. That's why I need the righteousness of God. Do you know if you have God's righteousness, which is perfect, then you don't have to go, how am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough so that God will like me? When you have God's righteousness, you go, I'm here. God loves me. And I don't have to worry about how I'm doing. He loves me anyway. He accepts me in the beloved anyway. And if I know I'm loved by God and respected by God and treated honorably by God, then I can turn around and treat everybody else with love and respect. That's humility. Because you know what? I don't deserve love and respect from God. If I got what I deserved from God, I'd be burning in hell tonight, right? So, unbelievably, he treats me with love and respect. Therefore, I'm going to treat everybody else the same way. That's humility. And he says, not returning evil for evil. Even when a Christian does it to you, especially the Christians, Well, you don't return evil for evil. You don't insult back. But instead, you let God judge. And you know that God is going to sort everybody out. You think, well now, was that an insult? Do I need to be angry about that? Well, let God sort it out. He's going to fix everybody's clock on the day of judgment. Did you know that? Every idle word men are going to give an account for. So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to sort anybody out. I can't even sort me out. That's why I need mercy and grace. So we're not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to be my own judge. Thus says the Lord Rob, vengeance is mine. There's only one judge in the entire universe, and I am not him. So let him sort everybody out. I'm going to wait for God to judge. And in the meantime, he says, on the contrary, verse 9, blessing. So somebody reviles you, and you go, well, God bless you. Yeah, but I said you're a, yeah, well, God bless you. God bless you, 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 and everybody. God bless you. Jesus said, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what Peter is saying here. And here's why you are to be a blessing. It's because you're called to inherit a blessing. Do you see that? Right at the end of verse 9. You were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And not just any blessing, but the blessing. The blessing. That is the blessing of Abraham. Now listen to what God told to Abraham. This is an unconditional promise that he made to Abraham. He says, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, all of this salvation in Christ is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. Did you know that? In Galatians 3, Paul shows this abundantly. And it would take too long to read it. But I'll mention a couple of places and read them to you. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So part of the blessing of Abraham is redemption from the curse of the law. No more curses at all. And this means there's some guys who teach about generational curses and you have to have this curse broken and that curse broken and, and get to all this follow-up work done. But this says right here, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All the curses. No more curses. And plus... We receive the promise of the spirit of eternal life. That's part of the promise of Abraham, okay? In verse 26 of chapter 3 of Galatians, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of, of you as were baptized in Christ, into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you're in Christ this morning, right now, 
You are a son or a daughter of Abraham because you're in Christ. So we really are sons of Abraham and we really are called to inherit this blessing. It's ours. And when you inherit the blessing, you become a blessing to the whole world. Now, in verse 10 here, Peter quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And I'm going to read that from Psalm 34. Here's what it says. You must speak what is right. Well, I don't even have that in my notes. Look at that. Who writes these things anyway? If I find that guy, I'm going to fire him. I'm so glad that teaching the Bible is not exactly like brain surgery. All right. Verse 12. Well, the context is verse 11, where he says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Now, doesn't it sound like this is what you must do in order to be blessed? Doesn't it read like that? Like, you, you can't deceive anybody, but you have to speak what is true. You have to seek peace and pursue it. And boy, if you don't do that, you're not going to make it. But that's not what it's saying. And in fact, this is all impossible to do apart from Jesus. Because when you're talking about speaking, you're talking about what fills the heart. And essentially, we have to start with a new heart. Then we will speak what is right. But not until. So if you think that all you got to do is just say the right thing and you're going to go to heaven, you're wrong. But when you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, then you receive a new heart, a new life, and you want to do what's right. And you have the power to do what's right. Now, this is why the gospel is so radical. Because it takes the commandments of God and turns them into promises that God will fulfill in you. So when the, when the commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me, when you receive Jesus, you won't. You will have no other gods before him. Because the Holy Spirit is so wonderful, he weeds out all the other gods. And he says, this one's got to go. And you go, wait a minute. He goes, ah, you don't need this. <laughs> Uprooting goes, whoa. He goes, trust me, you don't need them. And you go, wow. There are no other gods, because any god that sticks up his head is like whack-a-mole. <laughs> no other gods. Wow, it is fulfilled. 
and on down the list. All of those commandments become promises that Jesus will do in your life. Isn't that radical? So you don't have to like do all these things. They will be fulfilled as you walk in Christ. And so you receive Jesus. He not only blesses you with redemption, cleansing, a new birth, righteousness, but then he makes you a blessing. He will fulfill the covenant of Abraham in your life, and you will bless the entire earth. And see, there's more to come. You remember when God confirmed his promise to Abraham? He says, how am I going to know? And God says, well, I'm going to give you descendants, seed, like the stars in heaven. Look at the stars. If you can number them, so shall your descendants be. And it says there that Abraham believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Right there. All he did was believe God, and God says, you're righteous with my righteousness. Right there, justified by faith. But he also promised Abraham the land. And you know that to this day, Abraham still doesn't have the land that God promised him. Don't you think that's funny? Like at the end of his life, he's not going, well, only got about 20 minutes left. Where's the land? This is a raw deal. But see, the whole point is, what, is he, what good is it if God gives you the land and then you can't keep it because you're dead? That's a problem, isn't it? So there's a way around that. When God raises Abraham from the dead to live forever, then he says, here's the land forever. You can't lose it. That's part of the blessing of Abraham. So right now, all of us have been justified by faith. We've believed God about Jesus, and he says, you know what, right now, righteous, perfect righteousness of God. Oh, but there's more to come. There's the fullness of that blessing. So we're going to receive all the blessings when God raises Abraham from the dead. We're all going to be raised with him. Won't that be funny? Over here is my wife, and over here is Abraham. <laughs> and there's, you know, Greg, and there's David, king of Israel. Won't that be insane? But it's going to be the blessing of Abraham fulfilled completely. And so... This is why we want to live right, because we want to think about inheriting that blessing, right? Because Paul says in Ephesians 5, this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
So, yes, we've received a part, but we want to receive all of it. He's blessed us. He's made us a blessing. He called us to inherit all of it. That's where we're headed. And, you know, in verse 13 here, Peter asks a rhetorical question. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? If you're only doing what is right and you're not hurting anybody, who would want to harm you? And yet, Peter knew the opposition of foolish and ignorant men. All he did was proclaim that Jesus was risen from the dead and that men should repent and turn to him. And the leaders of Israel brought them into the Sanhedrin and beat them and said, do not speak again in this man's name. They healed a lame man in his 40s who had never walked from birth. And they said, if you speak again in this man's name, mm. but they had to let him go because there's nothing they could do. It was a miracle. Everybody knew it. It was great. And these guys are angry about that. Doesn't, isn't that weird? Shouldn't you be happy that a guy who's never walked before is walking? No, there's something wrong about it. We've got to stamp this out before it catches on. Now see, this brings up an aspect to this world that we have to understand. This world is fallen. And it's not neutral. It's not a neutral place. It is actually against God. Jesus said in John chapter 16, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, says Peter. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed? But that's what Jesus said. He said, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you know, this is what Stephen asked all the elders of Israel just before they stoned him. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? All of them got killed, except Elijah, taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. But Isaiah got sawn in half. 
It's tough to be a prophet. But he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What, what kind of dance is that again? This is my, whoa, I'm getting persecuted now because I am real, just like the prophets in Jesus. That's what the dance is. The steps are not hard to learn. <laughs> and actually, Peter here has a strategy for us so that we can suffer according to the will of God. All right? Here's your strategy. The first one is, in verse 17, I want to bring this one up first. It is better if it is the will of God. And this is what you have to know, that if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are suffering according to the will of God. When we suffer persecution, it's not that Oh, God couldn't protect us. We're somehow out of his grasp. Butterfingers, God. He can't protect me. No. What it means is he's going to take you through. But this is the will of God. Some more, some less. You notice in Revelation 2, Jesus speaking to the church at Smyrna, he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You're going to be thrown into prison. You're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. He doesn't say that to anybody else. Some are chosen to suffer more than others. You know what that means? That means greater exaltation before the Lord. That's what it means because it is an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. Does everybody get that? Do you know that our only regret is that we did not suffer more? We're going to say, what a dope I was to be scared of that when it is my exaltation and glory. See? But whatever happens, we are in God's hand. You know that Paul found that he could not escape God wherever he went? He's hanging on to a piece of wood floating in the Mediterranean Sea going, holy cow, a night in the day and a day, he says, I have spent in the deep. But even then, he's right in the hand of God. There is no place you can go where God is not. And he has you. And he's not going to lose you. So when you suffer, you suffer according to the will of God. He is in control, even if everybody is out of control. But here's the second thing, is we are to fear God, not men. This is how we're to suffer. Fear God and not men. Now, in verse 14, he says, don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That's a quote from Isaiah 8. Here's the context. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
the Lord of hosts. Him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. There's rumors going around. There's weird stuff. People are saying all kind of screwball stuff. Don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid of people at all. Because you need to be afraid of God. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and can't do anything else past that. Fear the one who can kill your body and throw your soul into hell. I tell you, fear him. And when you do that, Isaiah says, he will be a sanctuary, a refuge. He will keep your heart and your mind. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so fear the Lord greatly. That's your strategy. And then he says here, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now you know, it doesn't mean you snivel and cringe. <laughs> they asked me, why am I a Christian? <laughs> I hate this part. Because I'll say something and then they'll ask me a question I can't answer and my head will explode. I hate this part. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if anybody hates that part. But look it. If you know it's coming, why don't you work something out beforehand? I mean, really. Why are you a Christian? Can you do a five-minute version of that? Can you do a one-minute version and a 30-second version? I mean, why not? Why not get it down so that somebody bumps you and says, why are you a Christian? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus saved me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. And then the doors of the bus shut, and he drives off. Sometimes you only got 30 seconds. Don't worry about answering somebody's question. You know that the, the biggest fool can ask a question that the wisest man cannot answer. Witnessing for Jesus is not a Jedi lightsaber battle. It's not a debate. You know what it is? It's testifying to Jesus. And my hands are clean because I just told you. And everybody's responsible before Jesus on that day. And nobody's going to be a smart aleck on that day. I showed a guy yesterday at the Apple store my card that has John 3.16 on the back and he wouldn't even touch it. I tried to give it to him, and it's like, 
You can drop it on the floor, pal, but I ain't touching it because he could see what's coming. He says, it's okay, I'm Irish. <laughs> well, what's that got to do with the price of rice in China? Irish people are going to be judged by God too. Did you know that? Just because your grandma is Catholic doesn't mean anything. God has no grandchildren. So I had my 32nd right there. We're done. But that guy is responsible on the day of Christ. Do you see that? He can't say, well, nobody told me. What about that guy you blew off in the genius shop, man? Okay. Well, think about it. Five minute, one minute, and a 32nd. Everybody here can do that. And then you're ready. But you know what else you can do? You can grow in knowing Jesus. The more you read your Bible, the more it's going to be there for the Holy Spirit to bring out. Did you know that? Stuff will come to you and you think, whoa, I have a phenomenal memory. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit is reminding you of things you've read. He's fabulous. You're okay. But the more you read, the more he can bring to your mind. If you don't put anything in there, he goes, I'm helpless. There's nothing here. And I mean nothing. Poor guy. So what would happen if you think, okay, someone's going to ask me why I'm a Christian. I'm going to get ready for this. And then you're ready. But here's another thing. He says, with meekness and fear. Do you know how to beat fear when you're witnessing? Pray, God, help me to love this person right now. I've noticed when I'm loving people, I'm not thinking about myself and how freaked out I am. In fact, I have courage to burn. I can say the unsayable when I'm loving that other person, because I'm not worried about myself. I'm doing great. But you, poor person, have both feet in hell. And I'm just rude enough to tell you about Jesus. See? If you love people, you're not going to be afraid of them. So... You can even pray, God, help me with my divine appointments today. I don't know who I'm going to talk to, but you do. That's why one of the fun things we do, 6 o'clock in the morning, is we pray for our day. God knows everything that's going to happen. God bless what you know is going to happen. That's not stupid, is it? Well, the last thing here is keep a good conscience. If they're slandering you, you know, nope, I haven't done anything wrong. That's going to help you rather than, oh, I did do a few things wrong. That's not going to help when you're suffering. So you keep short accounts with God and you stay close to Jesus. And here's why. Look at verse 17. He says, it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 
Do you know that everybody in this world suffers? You suffer for doing what's right, but you also suffer for doing what's wrong. There are people out there doing unspeakable things, and they're getting busted for it, and they're getting sent to prison, or they're getting executed in some countries. So if you do what is wrong, you will suffer for it. What happens after that? You go to eternal punishment. You're going to suffer then too. What happens to us? Well, we suffer for a little while, and then after that, the blessing of Abraham kicks in forever. So whatever suffering we go through, it's not worthy to be compared to all the glory. Everybody's got to suffer. But we can pick for how long. Super duper duper long? Or just blip and it's over. I go for blip. So let me ask you this question in all seriousness. Where do you want to be in 10,000 years? I think about that. I really do. I think about what, what am I going to be wearing? But I know that if I am wearing something, it's going to be fabulous. And if I'm sitting down on a chair, it's going to be a fabulous chair. If I eat something, it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> I don't know what there is, but what there is will be amazing. And I think about this, and I found that it really makes all the horse manure that I have to go through right now not so bad. I'm sorry, I have a wide streak of vulgarity in me. I'm really sorry about that. So actually, I inherit that from my father. But all I'm saying is, when I think about where I am going to be in 10,000 years, and then I have this temptation to go look at some pornography, and I know I can have seconds of pleasure or 10,000 years of amazing, and it's just the beginning. But I can't grasp eternity. I, can, I think I can do 10,000 years. And I think about that and I go, why would I throw away my 10,000 years of fabulousness for a couple of seconds of evil? Does that make any sense? It's been really wonderful to think about. I have 10,000 fabulous years in the pocket right now this second. I'm not going to throw it away for a couple of seconds of bad fun. Boy, that's cool. So, again, we might say, well, you know, all I want is a nice life. Don't bug me with 10,000 years. <laughs> Why can't I have a nice life? What's the matter with that? And the answer is, it doesn't exist. Not in this life, and you only got two possibilities for the next one. Do you get it? So if you're thinking, just leave me alone, all I want to have is a nice life, you don't get it. 
And you know, Jesus was born into this fallen and wicked world, and he is perfect. He never hurt anybody. And guess what? They couldn't get rid of him fast enough. All that is beautiful and right and good, and they wanted to kill him, and they did. That's the kind of world this is. It is really wicked. It's twisted. Everything is backwards. Everything exalted by men is an abomination to God. That doesn't mean that God hates people, but he does hate everything that corrupts and destroys and tears down. That's what people exalt. Destructive, hurtful. And people push it like, this is the best thing in the world. And God says, this only ruins and kills and steals and destroys because the devil is running this world. So if you want a nice life, you can't find it, not here. But you know, he suffered according to the will of God, did Jesus. He suffered according to the will of God. It was God's will that he be crucified. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And you know what that work is? To bless every single one of us with the blessing of Abraham. Man, I'm such a lost Gentile. What am I doing being a son of Abraham? That's because Jesus suffered for me according to the will of God. And you know, there is amazing glory in being in Christ and loving people no matter what. No matter how bad it gets. There's glory in that because it's always a glory to love people and to do what's right. No matter what. Because that blessing touches the entire world. And that blessing relieves people of all the suffering and crud that comes from sin. It does. Have you ever experienced that? That's how amazing this blessing is. And it, you, it costs. You have to suffer to live this out. And you're going to suffer anyway. So pick, pick the best way to suffer. This is what Peter is saying. If you suffer for what is right, you're blessed. So don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid about. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 2. 3, verse 12. You know what? The only thing to do is to do the right thing. And to love people and to testify to Jesus and to do what's right. In other words, 
I'm going to suffer. I accept that. Because I'm looking to the next world. And everything that I have to suffer right now is going to be worth it. It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you mean to bless. That is your nature. And especially to bless where there is no deserving. Because you don't owe us anything. But you mean to bless us. And all we can say is thank you. Thank you for calling us to inherit this blessing. In this wicked world, we get a way out. We get a share in the life to come. So that in 10,000 years, we will drink in more of your amazing goodness. That's what we want. So we pray that you'd help us then to suffer according to your will. We want what you want. Help us to bless the people around us. Help us not to worry about what they think. Help us to worry about what you think. That's good enough. Everything else you can sort. But please fill us with your spirit and help us to live deliberately. We thank you for this wonderful salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.